<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. From Anthony de Blasi comes Malum an expanded and terrifying reimagining of his 2014 cult hit, Last Shift. On a search to uncover the mysterious circumstances surrounding her father's death, a newly appointed police officer, Jessica Lauren, is assigned to the Last Shift in a decommissioned police station where a notoriously vicious cult saw their demise years prior. The lone officer at the station, she soon finds herself barraged by terrifying paranormal events and, in the process, is taken on a journey during which she learns the shocking truth behind her family's entanglement with a demented cult leader. Malam comes to theaters on March 31, 2023. Malam. From Nice Guy Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is the Fun Size Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything, and asking your questions on your behalf is none other than producer Joe Russo. Good morning, producer Joe. How are you? I'm doing well, Mick. Good morning to you as well. Thank you. So you are uh, heading to Detroit next month. I am. That should be a lot of fun. I don't often make uh, convention jaunts, but uh, we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of Critters 2 with a screening there, and that may hold some surprises for us as well for post-mortem. And uh, anyway, we'll talk about that stuff later on. But uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I've never been to Detroit before, so it should be an interesting excursion. They have good pizza, Mick. (laughs) Well, we'll see if they have good vegan pizza, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) It might be worth cheating. I'm just saying. We'll see. I don't know. I've heard of Chicago and New York pizza, not so much Detroit pizza. Oh, Detroit sounds great. It's great. Pizza, all, all right. pizza's great. Anyway. I know. you. Uh, we're yes. changing your name from Producer Joe to Pizza Joe. Pizza Joe. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to start with a letter that we got in our Ask Mick Anything at Gmail inbox, uh, just because I thought it was, it was, it was quite nice. Um, hi, Mick and Joe. I first began listening to your show five years ago, shortly after the birth of my daughter. She had to spend some time in the hospital post-birth, and your interviews were a welcome distraction while I was driving back and forth to see her. Five years on, and I've just welcomed my third child, another girl, into my family, and I've been listening to the Radio Silence episode this morning as I drove in. Those five years have passed very quickly for me. I just wanted to say thanks for all the great content you produce. All the best, Ross. Well, Ross, thank you so much. That means so much you know, knowing that not just we're being listened to, but it's helping you through things that can be challenging. And congratulations on your third kid. Uh, yeah. I'm really happy for you. That's Amazing. And and we're, we're, we're happy to be uh, 
part of those memories. Yes, uh, and uh, here's to good parenting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, get them, get them started so, on get them started those, on horror movies young. <laughs> yes, but those those notes do not uh, go by us. I mean, that stuff really is important to us, and we really appreciate when we connect in a personal way, because that's what we try and do the whole show for in the first place. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Gary Duffy wants to know. What do you consider a perfect movie, Mick? And why does Joe think Batman Returns is one? God only knows why Joe thinks that. Only Joe and God know. Um, first of all, I was going to say very glibly, well, there's no such thing as a perfect movie because you can always find something wrong with something. But I don't know. The more I think about it, if a movie works for you from beginning to end, then it's perfect. Yeah, You don't go out going, gee, I wish it did this or that. You know, Dead Ringers is always one of my favorite movies that I bring up. An American Werewolf in London. Um, and just last night, I watched Pearl for the third time. That's a wow. perfect movie. It's a masterpiece, Ty West's film. That's and cool. so any movie that gives you joy from beginning to end that doesn't leave you scratching your head or going, boy, I wish this or, ooh, if only the effects were better or if only they'd cast so-and-so instead of so-and-so. Yeah. If a movie gives you pleasure from beginning to end and makes you want to see it again, to me, the stand that's the standard for what a perfect movie is i think you're right and i think uh i think those are all great examples and you know so joe defend yourself defend defend batman returns <laughs> yeah. i mean it's it's a perfect tim burton movie that's for sure um you know he had all of the creative clout that the first 1989 batman movie earned him and he used it to make something you know, a, a superhero franchise sequel, but with all of the Tim Burton trimmings and weirdness and bizarre characters and over-the-top theatricality and beautiful visuals. And uh, the story is is terrific from beginning to end. So yeah, I, I do consider it to be one of the perfect movies. And, you know, but, I, but, but I agree with you. That's, that's kind of my definition too. You know, I think about movies like die hard i think about movies like yeah, I, I would agree with that and 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 our engineer chris just reminded me of the, the thing. thing john yep. carpenter's the thing that's a perfect movie absolutely back to the I, future i consider a perfect movie i'm um, with you there uh so there's 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 a lot of them. I, I Spielberg certainly got several, in my opinion. Yeah, Jaws, film. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, yeah, E.T., uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, there so, you go. so yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't think that is quite an elusive thing. Yeah, and, perfect uh, movies abound. What do you know? Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, there is such a thing as a perfect movie. Um, here, here. All right, another Gary. We have more than one Gary who listens to the show. Uh -huh. uh, the other Gary writes, I often hear Mick and other people refer to horror films as genre films, and I've never understood this nickname. There are many genres, horror, drama, sci-fi, action. Why do people call horror films genre films, and when did it become a thing? Well, genre has been used for lots of things, particularly action adventure or sci-fi or something that is pegable. Mm -hmm. um, the term genre talking about horror movies usually takes place within the horror community. This show is dedicated to horror cinema. 
and the fantastic. Right. And so for us, when we speak about genre, we're speaking about the horror genre, but it's very true. There are other genre and they are inclusive. And in other more mainstream journalism, they will refer to genre including noir and right and yeah that's kind of how i've always seen it is it's not just horror movies that are genre movies it's pretty much anything that's not a drama or comedy right right something that's not a total mainstream across the board appeal movie something that's more specific but again when we say genre here it's because we are talking to and about the horror community absolutely uh all right Jim asks, what movies have you watched where you felt compelled to read the screenplay, novel, or novelization afterwards? I've never been compelled to read a screenplay after seeing a movie, mm. um, nor a novelization, because the novelization basically is taking the script and putting it into readable form. Right. And novels, um, normally, I read the books first. Right. Um, you know, especially within the genre, there there's not a wide variety of horror novels that are adapted into film and ones that are going to be. If I hear a movie is being made from a book, I try and check it out first. Often I read books well in advance of knowing they're going to be made into movies. So I can't think off the top of my head of a book of a novel that I read after the movie. Uh, because the movie impressed me so much because they are very different things. Yeah. I, I, once in a while, when we get like the award screeners and such, I might thumb through, uh, I know we talked about this on our last AMA, but, but I might thumb through the um, award screenplay that they sent out a hardcover. You know, I've definitely looked at one of one or two of the Aaron Sorkin scripts after watching some of his recent work. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but I don't I don't feel overly compelled to do it. It's it's more out of just uh, curiosity, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. But I know. do I do like I read a lot, and I do love to see an adaptation of a book that I've read, even if it ruins things for me. You know, um, the the new uh, Shyamalan movie, Knock on the Door Cabin. Um, is an example of a book I had read first right. and saw the movie and it was, oh, okay, the last act is very different. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I had I had a unique experience with that one too because I had read uh, my friend's original draft of, of that script before Shyamalan rewrote it, which was much more of a one-to-one with the book. Uh, so I, I, had, I had a very similar experience in that yeah, regard. So you were even more surprised because you'd read a script for the movie. Yeah. Uh well but I knew I knew the change was coming. Uh oh. I'd I'd heard about it for a little while from from Steve and Michael, the the original writers. Um and you know and they saw it last fall and kind of filled me in a little bit about it. But but uh um yeah I mean it was it was it was funny though because it's been a few years since I had read the script and then the movie came out I watched it and I I went back and reread their script. Uh-huh. Uh, just to kind of get a get a clue on as to where the the diversions were, um, so it was interesting. But I look, I I liked the original story that Paul came up with. I liked what Steve and Mike did, and, and I liked what Shyamalan did. Like it, it I, I, I love the book and I love the movie, and they can live side by side, as Steve exactly. often often attests to. 
Right. I think that's the, the perfect way to look at it. Right. What is it? He says, uh, what, what is the, you know, the quote better than I, his books oh. will always be there. Yeah. Uh, when people say, what do you think of them fucking up your book? He said, they didn't touch my book. It will stand on its own unchanged and the movie may suck, but it doesn't hurt the book in any way. That's right. That's not an exact quote, mind you, but uh, you <laughs> well, get speaking of uh, people fucking up Stephen King's books, <laughs> uh, AJ wants to know, what are your thoughts on Stephen King's dollar babies? Well, I think they're great. I well, we should probably uh, just for people who don't know. Yeah. Tell them okay. what a dollar baby is. Basically, Stephen King says anybody who wants to adapt one of his stories for a student film, for a short film, for a movie or whatever, they just pay him a dollar, but they cannot release it commercially. Right. Um, and they cannot um, make money off of it. Right. You know, this is something that is very personal. It's something he's very generous. In the beginning, writing the bullet was a dollar baby. I told him I wanted to try and set it up. And I gave him a dollar for the rights to adapt it myself. And when we made the deal, he got very well paid for right. the rights to the novel. But I think the dollar baby adaptations, what a great and generous idea from yeah. our, our best-selling novelist of all time to, to have these stories available for anybody who's either in film school or on their own, however they come across them, they want to make a film and here he says, sure, go for it. Run yeah. It. See yeah. what you can do. And it and it works in some cases, you know. Frank Darabont, he did a dollar baby, the woman in the room, and and it helped him. That opened the door to Shawshank, right? Well, it opened the door to him being hired as a writer and director. Right. Uh, and eventually Shawshank and Green Mile. Right. But um, right. you know, the dollar baby worked for him because it gave him a calling card from a story that had already been proven to be published and wonderful yeah i had a friend in uh in college uh, uh as as you know did our engineer chris uh who did the dollar baby thing and he went and shot a feature with it um and then retroactively went back to try to get king's blessing uh to to be able to go sell it which which he did get uh which was pretty remarkable but well, that's good uh, that's it is good. good uh the problem is king's fees are very expensive and this was a very small movie and and the economics, and rightly so you know yeah. the economics didn't quite uh work out in in the movie's favor but uh it was it was exciting to kind of watch him go through that process and it was very cool that uh when king did finally see the movie that he he did give it his blessing which was which was pretty neat um, yeah it is great and it's only fair that king's fee should be high because uh, the material is worth a lot Absolutely. So it, it's Absolutely. not unreasonable for him to ask uh, value for the stories that he's told. I agree. Well, let's stick on the uh, Stephen King track for a little bit, shall we? Let's uh, do it. Spooky Bard writes, with new adaptations of The Boogeyman and Children of the Corn coming out, I want to ask, what is your current favorite film adaptation from Night Shift? Well, Night Shift was Steve's first collection of short stories. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of stories in there. And a lot of them were adapted. Yeah. Um, one of them, uh, Trucks, was made into Maximum Overdrive by Stephen King himself, <laughs> his one directing uh, endeavor. <laughs> yep. 
and uh, it was not a huge success, but at least he did it. Um, and it made him realize, I don't think I want to do this again for a while. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's funny though, because like Maximum Overdrive and 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 a couple of other titles that are that came from Night Shift all came out when I was, you know, very young. And so I got to discover them pretty young before, you know, there was the whole is it good, is it bad? It's just fun to watch a movie. So right. I, I have yeah. a fondness for for quite a few of those adaptations. So. Well, you know, Children of the Corn was not particularly well received when it came out. I've not seen the new version of Children of the Corn. Isn't there a new one that's coming out? There is. It's uh just come out this month. Oh, um, oh, okay. Is it on one of the streamers? It is not streaming yet. It's available for rental. Ah, okay. Well, I have not seen that. Um, but I'll tell you, my very favorite of all of the adaptations was actually made for television, although it was shot in widescreen back in 1991 and was released the, uh, theatrically all around the world, except in the U.S., was Sometimes They Come Back, which was written and directed by Tommy McLaughlin. Mm. And it's a terrific one. Uh, it's really good. It plays like a theatrical feature, not like a television movie. And uh, so... That is my favorite. I do have some love for the Mangler that Toby Hooper made. Graveyard Shift is a is a good fun one, you know. It's uh, and Cat's Eye is a horror anthology that's mostly good. There's some really good stuff in there, particularly Quitters Inc., which is uh, a, a, about a special way to quit smoking that is very effective. Nice, um, but. Um, there are others, you know, Maximum Overdrive, we mentioned, they did, that was based on his story, Trucks. They remade right. Trucks for television for USA Network. Um, I never saw it. I never Battle, saw it. Battleground was an episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes that um, was written by Richard Christian Matheson that is really good. There's no dialogue, as I recall, in that one at all. Hmm. And I've not seen the TV series Chapel Weight, which is based on Jerusalem's lot, which is a story in Night Shift. So um, there's my rundown of, of, of what's good about uh, Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to is Boogeyman from friend of the show, Rob Savage. Yes. Yeah, uh, I can't wait. I hear great things about Great that. things. Yep. Yep. Can't. Uh, very excited. I, I, I had a beer with him a couple of weeks ago and we chatted about it and it sounds like it was... Uh, a really wonderful experience for him. So that's uh, great. Hopefully he'll come back on the pod and tell us about it. You know? Yeah, that'd be great. He, he made the wonderful host and yes, uh, he did and can't uh, recommend that movie highly enough. And speaking of perfect films, that is a perfect movie too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Rick writes, Mr. Garris with your background in behind the scenes, documentaries and interviews, have you ever involved yourself in the EPK production and marketing of your own projects, whether you're the director or just the writer producer? Sometimes I have input, but I'd really rather leave it to people who are better at their jobs than I would be and that right. I was. Right. Uh, you know, there are things working as a publicist for years. It was not my favorite job. What I loved about it was working with films and filmmakers and all of that, getting the exposure to that and learning about the process of making and selling movies. But I'd rather concentrate on making the best movie I can 
and then have the rationalization that if it doesn't do well, it's because the marketing people fucked up. <laughs> there you go. Plausible, plausible deniability. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's always looking to blame somebody else in Hollywood. Uh, That's not always true, but uh, <laughs> but there are moments of levity in our show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Nathan writes, on a recent AMA, Joe asked you about being surprised by performances in the edit. For me, being on the outside of the industry, looping dialogue sounds horrible, but I'm wondering if either of you have ever seen a performance enhanced or brought to life after an ADR session. Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the reason you do it, not just because of bad sound quality, right. but sometimes you can improve upon it. Not usually. When actors are interacting, they're giving their best and they're feeding each other. But there are some times when actors are acting on their own and they're not having the interaction that charges their performance. And there are some times when you can increase the excitement level in a, in a character's performance um, by revoicing the dialogue or emphasizing a different word when you realize it's important in the reveal of what's to be, uh, what's to come in the story. There are definitely times when it can be improved. And I think last time we talked about looping, we mentioned David Cronenberg and Scanners and how the uh, lead actor in that was completely revoiced. Mm. Every word was relooped to improve the performance. Stephen Lack, uh, the actor in that. And, uh, you know, it was David's way of saying, no, I don't want to revoice it with another actor. I want to use my actor, but I will revoice it with him. And so they definitely made improvements in the performance there. So it, it's not only done for sound quality, technical purposes, but also to heighten performance issues. Yeah. So I wanted to, um, I put this question specifically before our, our last question, because I think that this, this, what I'm going to bring up here, is going to bleed into this. I wanted to tell you about this uh, technology I just heard about, and I wanted to kind of get your, your reaction to it. Cause I, I think it, it's something that could be, super fascinating and interesting. And I also think that it could be um, something terrifying uh, in how the industry evolves. Did you, you saw that movie uh, last year called fall, right? With the woman, yes. the characters yeah. were stuck on the very tall scaffolding. Yeah, um, it's really good. So in that movie, uh, the original version of that movie that was made independently when Lionsgate picked it up for release they said, gosh, we wish we could release this as a PG-13, uh, but everybody's saying fuck all the time in the movie. Uh, <laughs> so the director of that movie, he has been working with a technology company for the last few years to use artificial intelligence to help redub movies so that, that when movies travel internationally and they're dubbed, uh, they can do perfect lip syncs now by taking footage wow. from the actors throughout the picture uh, and basically putting it all into a computer and then they can perfectly re-lip sync them to say whatever you want. So, so they went into fall and it took all the F-bombs out and they were able to release it as a PG-13 because of that. Uh, so now they're trying- done, I think it would have done better as an R personally, but- Well, yeah. well maybe, I mean, that remains to be seen, but-, but the reality is this now has opened the door for 
Uh, usually when one of the reasons people don't like ADR is because usually people are sticking lines on the back of characters heads yes uh, to explain everything to the to explain everything yeah. but now with this technology theoretically as long as the line matches the the shot and the shot movement enough you could literally make a character say anything in post-production now and have the lips match it uh so they're calling it ai reshoots um wow. Wow. which is i don't know like it's it it's well it's you yeah. Yes. Yes, son. You can use this for good, or you can use this for evil. <laughs> and it depends on whose hands it's in. If it's in the filmmaker's hands, how wonderful is that? I think it's a great tool. Yeah. To be able to make some changes like that. Yeah. If it's in the distributor's hands. Yeah. Uh, that's more worrisome. Right. And, I mean, the reality know, is most of the ADR lines usually come from the studio execs' notes anyway. Like, if if there are if it's not just like fixing performance or fixing, you know, technical flubs, if they're trying to add lines in, usually it's coming down from the studio execs hands. Right. Uh, and I've definitely saw a, a laundry list of suggestions on, on one of my movies recently that came down from a studio exec. And I can't imagine if they had this technology in their hand, yeah. you know? Um, well, it certainly could be used for good. I can imagine improving on a performance or, or changing dialogue in ways that you realize after you've shot a scene could improve the information flow or the naturalness of right. the language being spoken. But again, I think the likelihood is that the bad guys will be the ones with these guns in their holsters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reality is if they're going to force you to stick an ADR line into the movie in the old ways or with this new way, at least in this instance, you have a way to do it where it's not just going to be awkwardly stuck on the back of somebody's head. On, yeah, well, you know. let me, let's also explain what ADR is. Yes, sorry. ADR stands for Automatic Dialogue Replacement. And basically what happens is after you've shot the movie, an actor is in a sound booth in front of a microphone, much like we are here. Uh, and they're looking at a screen and they'll play the performance. You hear three beats and on the fourth beat, you speak the line. So it's very much like a musical performance. You have beep, 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 beep. And so you're counting down one, two, three, go. And so that dialogue replacement, you're watching a blue line come across the screen with those beeps so that you're seeing where your mouth, what your mouth is intending to match. Yeah. So that's the technical aspect of it. Not having to go through that. It's also very difficult if you don't have a sense of rhythm and music mm -hmm. because those, it's a very musical thing to be able to, to loop dialogue well. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of actors don't even like to do it. So, uh, and they're not in the moment. So, sure, it, it exactly. Really but this technology, like allowing the the lips to match better, I, I think that that's exciting to me. That's that's something yeah. very cool. You know, I agree. Um, I agree. Just in the wrong hands. It yeah, can be slippery slope. Which is which is what right. I told uh, my my friend who's involved with this endeavor. Um, you know, I I I think it's exciting and scary all at the same time. Which. Yes. I think bleeds nicely into our final question. Uh, Man of Horror wants to know our thoughts on the WGA's position on artificial intelligence revealed in this week's 
negotiations with the studios. Well, the Writers Guild is on the verge of striking for uh, better um, circumstances in their employment. Yes. And one of these things is the inclusion of AI. You know, since chat GPT has come along, mm -hmm. people are using it for a lot of purposes, including writing screenplays. So the Writers Guild wants to protect human writers so that they still are credited. You know, you can use AI for writing, but it's got to be in an abetment with a writer rather than instead of writers. Right. Right. Now, the, the dangerous thing about a writing by AI is the dangerous thing about screenwriting anyway, is that what everybody will come up with is what's familiar. Mm -hmm. You feed into the machine what has already come before. And so you get a regurgitation right. or a reinterpretation of something that has come before rather than something startlingly new. You're not going to get startlingly new from artificial intelligence. Maybe someday you will, but at this point, it's basically a, a reimagining and a regurgitation of what has come before. But that's also been the most popular kind of movies being made. Uh, well, studios. Yeah, well, yes and no. Yeah, I mean- Well, yeah, but there's a formula. I, I, right. I'm, not, I'm not saying everything about that is terrible, but what they feel good about, the scripts that studios buy mostly, are ones that remind them of successful movies and right. feel like they fit into a formula that they know how to sell and market. I mean, I think, yeah, of course, like people want things to check boxes, but even within those, those movies, you find, you know, writers and directors and artists who are trying to, to push those franchises forward, even if they are, you know, checking the boxes of the formulas that have come before. Um, you know, not every yeah, but time. I'm not talking about franchises yeah, necessarily sure. either. I'm talking about original movies that still sure. fulfill the formulas that have been set in the past. Yeah, no, of course, of course. But I, you know, I mean, but that's the difference, as, as you always say, between, you know, hacks and true filmmakers, right? Like a true filmmaker is going to try and I think push the boundaries of creativity, regardless of the circumstances that they're given. And, and that's how right. we get fun movies that do fit within the boxes. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff I've made uh, has been in familiar senses, but trying to bring something new and fresh and compelling into it. Exactly, exactly. And I and I do think that, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Guild was very firm in saying that AI is is plagiarism. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's taking, but you know, it brings up an interesting ethical question because it's like, yes, the AI is being fed information and, and regurgitating it to you. But in, in a way though, aren't we doing that too with all of the things that we've consumed, whether well, that's my point. Television. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about, fran you know, not just franchises, but familiar formulas and the like. Right, but even, yeah. but even still, even, even if it's, if it's an unfamiliar movie, we're still drawing from things that we've experienced, which will include, inevitably include other movies, television and, and books. You know? The important thing is we are drawing from the human experience. Right. And the computer is drawing from already experienced experiences from other people other, other humans people. yeah which is which yeah. is like a, a a secondary muddled down thing yeah. i yeah i mean it's, it's to live through a heartbreak to live through a, a drama to live through fear those things are more compelling if they feel the veracity of having actually happened to 
the creator of the story. Right. Yeah. No. And I and I think you know obviously the technology where it is now is 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 fascinating and interesting and powerful, but it still has a long way to go before it can replicate human emotions, relationships, and understand kind of the complexities of those dynamics as they relate to stories, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so the writer's guild, I think getting in the, you know, it was funny when uh, in the elections last fall, somebody ran on an AI platform. And I mean, the way he, he was on the, sh- you know, when he, when he did his speech on zoom, it was, it almost felt like AI is coming. AI is coming. We had the, yeah. the downfall of civilization. And, and you know, literally it was, I don't know, August maybe when this happened. And I heard him and I was like, wow, he sounds crazy. And then like two months later, Chat GPT came out and it was like, oh, he's not, he wasn't crazy. He was, he was right. <laughs> uh, and, and he can be crazy and right. Yeah. He's crazy and right. And, and I, I felt very foolish for having, uh, kind of laughed, laughed him off a little bit, but, but, uh, um, you know, the reality is, uh, when it comes to AI, uh, the, the, the guilds, they represent human beings and the guilds make deals with all of the studios and producers to, to hire human beings to write things. So adding in some language that clarifies that, that, that a human is a writer and, you have to have a human involved in the creative process. Um, I think that was, I think it was really smart the way that positioned it uh, yeah. this week. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, the guilds are really, they're out to protect the members, obviously, but it's also really a great thing to have an organization behind the creatives because creatives aren't necessarily the best at protecting their own interests. Absolutely. absolutely. And in this, in this case in particular, Look, I I don't want to be a gray-haired filmmaker afraid of every new uh, evolution in my industry. I welcome it yeah. and I'm excited by it. And yeah, the- you're you're usually pretty good about adapting new technology. I remember when we were on Nightmare Cinema, you were walking around with your uh, camera glasses uh, <laughs> during what was that Snapchat? Right? It was there were Snapchat. Yeah, camera glasses I, or yeah, I think so I, I think I, <laughs> I used them for about a week <laughs> yeah and you were, you were like I'm gonna location scout with these and I yeah. was like I thought it was super cool uh but you were like embracing it and then you never wore them again but but yeah. nobody did so exactly. uh but I, you've always been really good about embracing that technology and that's why I thought this was a, a great question from man of horror to to chat about on the show uh definitely so- man of horror who is actually a chat bot <laughs> oh god i hope not <laughs> all right mick well thank you again for another wonderful ama and thank you uh, joe and thank to, you to the listeners for yes i look forward questions. to when uh, ai can replace us on the show and do it for us uh and <laughs> oh you are looking forward to that okay i'll keep that in mind <laughs> uh shall we tell people where they can send questions for our future ais to answer please do joe well first of all we do have our gmail address of askmickanything at gmail.com that's the most direct way to get to both of us that's right you can send it anytime and then you can keep out for calls for entries on social media uh at mick garris pm on twitter and instagram and you can find me at joe russo tweets and at joe russo Graham on twitter and instagram respectively and thanks for all the uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it and keep them coming. Feed our ego. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Mick. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.